Our scripture passage this morning is James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. As we near the conclusion of this book of James, that can be found on page 1,291 in your pew Bibles. Verses 13 through 18 on the topic of prayer, the prayer of faith, as the heading says. Before we read God's word, let's ask for his blessing. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give to us understanding as we turn to your word, that you give us grace not only to feed upon you, to be encouraged, not only to have a direction of life, but to glorify you for all that you have done. We pray in this passage that does present difficult challenges in how to apply and interpret, you'd give to us clarity, give to us wisdom, and that we would acknowledge your authority and obey you. We pray this in whose word, in whose name, this word comes to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. James five thirteen and following. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Thus far, our reading in James chapter 5. Oh, to have connection to the powerful. Oh, to be able to tap into power. There was a scene from some TV show I saw that always reminded me of this, in this scene where there's this high-level agent, this this classified agent, he's not on the books, he's not on the record, he's answerable to the president himself. When he is on his mission, he needs a suspect, and a suspect has been taken by the local authorities, but he needs to interview this suspect. And so the local authorities are arguing, as they're prone to do in TV. I don't believe that's how it happens, but it's TV, it's not real. And they are arguing and trying to gain the the jurisdiction over this person. And so finally, the local authority, the cop, asks him to speak to his superior. And so this main character, this agent, dials a number on his phone, hands him the phone, and the the cop takes it, and when he puts it to his ear, he hears a secretary say, "White, White House switchboard. The main character says, ask for the president. And of course, in that scene, the, the cop, this local cop, this low-level cop, quickly closes the phone, and, and that's that. Why? Because there was a powerful access. And of course, the writers of this TV show, probably somewhat in a cheesy way, we might say, but tries to put before you the power, the power of having access to one who has that office and that authority. Quite clearly, you can see the, the connection I'm making with prayer with prayer, where we have the power at any moment to turn to our Lord in prayer. Our our point of the message, the theme of the message is very simple today. Our prayers have great power. Our prayers have great power. It's so simple. 
so clear, so easy to understand. Why don't we just pack it up and walk out, right? It's, it's our, all right, our prayers have power. I think we all know why we can't do that, because though it may be simple, though it may be easy to understand, we struggle here. We struggle here for many reasons that we'll get into to understand the power of prayer, to understand that it works, to understand that it is effective, and everything that it seeks to do, which is far more than just a, a genie in the sky and we're asking for something, it's, it's far more than that, but it's powerful. We see in our first point this morning, prayer's power in every situation. Prayer's power in every situation. What James is telling the congregation to do. James has been this this very practical letter. And what he tells his people is to pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And that is a form of prayer itself. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders and have them pray is where he leads to that. And so you see, though there are, there are very difficult things in this text, what, what is this oil he's talking about? What is the prayer of faith? Does it mean it's healing? What's the connection he seems to make between sin and sickness? There are very difficult things to interpret, but let's not lose the, the somewhat difficult things and lose the point. Our prayers are powerful and they're meant to be prayed in every situation. We are to direct our attention to them. Is anyone among you suffering? And this is, this is very broad, very general. Are you dealing with anything that you might consider difficult or suffering? Pray. If you're cheerful and things are going well and you're walking and basking in an easy life, sing praise. Pray. You see, every situation, praise the Lord, bring it to Him. And it's good that James tells us to do this. It's, it's actually easier to remember to pray in the suffering. It's actually easier to cultivate a very rich and deep spiritual life in the suffering. That's, that's just the way it is. When we're pressed, when we feel the pain, when we feel the difficulty, it is, is so much more on our minds to praise, to pray to the Lord, to struggle in our faith, to even grow in it, if that's how we respond. And yet James also brings up the other side of life, the cheerful side. If, if, as it does happen in our life, you're not suffering and you're not pressed, but you're rejoicing, praise the Lord. Bring that to him. Bring it to him in praise. He covers all the aspects of life in great cheer and in happiness. And again, we all know this. We all know we're supposed to pray without ceasing. That's why it's helpful to have regular services, regular sermons that remind us to pray, for we always need that tune-up. We always need that reminder and that clarification of what prayer is, and we always especially need to be reminded of the power of prayer, and that's James' point. It's, it's not just a Christian thing to do to, to pray, pray to the Lord and hope that something happens. He wants us to see that we are tapping in to great power, and it's not something special with us, it's something special with the Lord, a byproduct of our faith. Because we believe we have this access to him, we have that, that phone number to the president, picking up on that illustration, that's what we have, the power to the Lord himself who answers. Now we do have to deal with these details. These are difficult details. This is probably one of the more or most difficult passages in James to deal with. What is, what is James saying here? What does he mean? 
What is he meaning about the the oil? And should we do that today? Should the elders use oil to anoint today? What kind of healing is this? All these questions. Well, Calvin, there are many different ideas of this. Calvin, for example, believed that what James was referring to here with this healing and this prayer was something tied to the apostles and to the apostolic time that no longer exists today. Most interpreters, including myself, would not be persuaded of that. And the reasoning is is because he doesn't seem to refer to anything extraordinary. He is talking about prayer and the prayer of the elders, an office we still have today. He doesn't tie it to these things. And so it would seem likely that this wasn't just something that was for the time of the early church, but something we should do today. But what does that mean? See, Catholics would use this as a proof text for their sacrament of extreme unction, of anointing the sick, and apply that this is bringing the power of the Lord through the anointing oil to heal. Well, that's not the case. We can know that from other scriptures. We know that that is not a sacrament, and that is an incorrect interpretation of this verse. But then what is it? The two most prevalent, and I would say the the most likely explanations for this oil and this healing and what's being talked about is something that's either medicinal or symbolic. That this oil and what it's used for, the one very common interpretation, is that this is referring to medication. That this is oil that was used, that it was used during this time, that that was the medications of the day, that salves and balms and ointments and oil were all that oil-based, that they would use these things, and that was how they treated sickness. And so what this interpretation would say is James is simply saying, have the elders, for those who are sick, come to them and make sure they receive medical treatment as well as spiritual treatment, the oil to heal their bodies, the prayers to bring before them and to lift them up and ask the Lord's healing upon it. And that's, that's one idea, and that's possible. There's another idea that it's symbolic. And it's possible that the oil was a means of showing or, or signifying a blessing to the people that it was an idea of intercessory prayer and that the oil was a means of consecration, a sense of reminding the sick that they belonged to God, especially the sick that seemed to be dealing with sins and confession of sins and uncertainty and doubt. It's very common, and this is referring to grave sickness. That's what James is talking about. He's not talking about the common cold. This is the sickness that you are near death. And in this case, this is what we still see today. Those near death often struggle, often struggle with doubts of sins, often struggle with their own righteousness and their own faith, or these serve as situations to remind them that they are indeed sinful and remind them of past sins, and that on top of the physical sickness can can weigh them down. And so what this theory says is that this anointing was just a way to minister to them, to show them they're the Lord's. They're they're set apart, that they anoint them to show them that purpose. Which one is it? I don't know that we can necessarily say. I don't know that we are given enough information. We see that those are very likely explanations for what's going on with this oil. What is very clear is that James is not, not giving the oil some kind of supernatural power. And James' emphasis is not on the oil. His emphasis very clearly is on the prayer of faith. That's the point. You see the situation that a, a, someone is suffering, presumably a believer, suffering, and they, in their faith, call the elders. 
the elders come to them to minister to them, to pray for them. And that's really what James is getting at. To offer them this prayer, a prayer of faith. The elders of the church are to be involved. And so as far as, is this a practice that we should do today? Should we continue to anoint with oil? What James is saying wouldn't necessitate that practice. If one, if it was just medicinal, well, we understand then that they are to be receiving care. And then the elders make sure they're receiving care. And if it is symbolic, what we see is that it's the elders who are to remind them, to administer to them, and to tell them that they are, if they have faith in Christ and profession of faith in Him, that they will be forgiven of these sins, to comfort them in their difficulty and to pray for their healing. That's James' point. The elders of the church are to be involved. We are very quick to pray for our difficulties. Personally, we do that. And yet I think at times we we so forget the power of prayer, we so forget the importance of the church, that we're very quick to go to the doctor, we're very quick to call for medications, we're, we're very quick to perhaps pray for ourselves, but we're not very quick to seek out the prayers of our elders to seek out the prayers of the church, but James would have that that ministry, that ministering to them by the elders. And the elders' work is not just supposed to be confined to the consistory room. It's not just to go to meetings. It is to bring the gospel to all who need it, especially to those suffering. And so when you say it this way, what James is describing is still very common, very current. And what I would impress upon us should be all the more utilized by us. That even in the midst of dire suffering, dire sickness, to ask for the church and the elders to come, minister to your spirit, to your soul. That's what James is saying because prayer is powerful. Prayer blesses. Our prayers have great power. And specifically here he mentions the prayers of the elders for the people. The elders' prayer of faith that he's referencing, that they are to come to deal with their sins, to deal with their their difficulties. Our second point is prayer's power in sickness and confession. So we see James' point to pray in all situations. That was our first. But now we see him hone in on power in sickness and confession, which we've already begun to talk about. Verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. First, as we go through this verse, what is the prayer of faith? Well, the prayer of faith is offered by those who have faith. First of all, it's the prayer of the faithful. It's the prayer of believers. And it's a prayer of confidence in the promises of the Lord. It's a a prayer coming from a sincere trust in the Lord that he is able to do exactly what you're praying for. Now we have to be careful that we don't make this prayer some kind of incantation. You have to say it in the right way, and you have to say the right things. And if you do that, then you'll be healed. That's not what James is saying. He's saying the prayer of a faithful man offered to the Lord truly, and in great trust of the Lord has great power. That's James' point. That's what the prayer of faith is. The elders bringing up to the Lord the needs of this poor saint who is suffering. It's in response to their sickness, and it's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of faith in the promises of the Lord, that the promises will be fulfilled. 
It's a faith which rests trustfully in the will of the sovereign, faithful, and loving God who knows and has the power to heal. But we do have to be careful in how we interpret verse 15 as we look at the rest of it. You see what he says, that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, saving in this, in this instance meaning heal, or and in healing in the ultimate sense too, and in the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What does James mean here? And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. We have to be very careful how we interpret this. Though some sicknesses, and we'll get to this in a moment, some sicknesses are certainly tied to sins. In fact, all sickness is a cause of the curse of sin. But some sicknesses are directly tied to sins. We have to be very careful that we don't just presume and assume that what the suffering is from is from this person's sin. And that's not what James is saying right here. This would be to make the same error of Job's friends, to rather, to rather as a bull in the china shop, come into this situation and say, just as Job's friends did, you must have sinned, and let's determine what this is so you can confess it and be healed. We have to be careful about that. The whole book of Job provides us that, that caution. Don't just come in and assume that sin. James Eason, you, you even uses that word, if, if there's sin. Meaning that there doesn't necessarily mean that there is a cause of this through sin. Again, it's quite possible that one who is grievously wounded and sick and is calling for the elders is wrestling with sins wrestling with sins and their own unworthiness in light of this dire sickness. Very possible that that is what James is primarily referring to. We must be careful that we don't jump to that type of conclusion, and yet we do also have to see what James is saying. James does make a tie to sin and sickness. And Scripture supports this connection in other places as well. John 5.14 says that after Jesus had healed his, the man who took up his bed and walked away, John 5, 14 says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. This text seems to indicate some kind of connection between a suffering, a sickness, and sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read it in the preparatory form. In connection with an improper partaking of the Lord's Supper, Paul says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Connecting what their sickness and their plagues were to the sin that they had done. We see this in the Old Testament as well, when there was sin in the community, and it came upon those people, and there was a result of plagues and pestilence and problems due to sin. Now, what do we do with all this information? James is, is saying to be very careful. And what the elders specifically are called to do is to come in wisdom and discernment and minister to them and point them to the gospel and pray for them to not jump to conclusions, to see that they are cared for. And yet, if they see that there is unconfessed sin, to help them to confess that, to pray for them in their confession, to see that if there is perhaps a cause of sin in their life, to deal with that as well. And the elders, as the shepherds, as the those who are concerned with their congregation, come and do just that. But it's done in care. 
It's not done like Job's friends. It's done to this person all for their betterment, all to see them healed and raised up, all to see them grow in their faith and trust in the Lord. So we have to be careful how we apply it and see a connection in certain situations and instances to sin, but as well just to see that they need ministry. This sick person needs the gospel, needs to be assured that in Christ there is freedom. In Christ there is true healing, and if it's not the healing on this earth to rise up from your bed and to walk away, there is true healing in Christ in that eternal sense that sicknesses will be done away with, and to then have that rest in sickness. That's the power of the ministry of the church. It's the great privilege of the office of elder to be engaged in that. It's the power of prayer. It's the power of prayer that, yes, the Lord can and does all the time answer prayers and healing. He does answer prayers and give assurance of salvation, of forgiveness of sins. He heals us in every way. And so whatever the situation, a secret sinful life, a sin that may lie at the root of the trials, doubts of assurance, it would be the elders' ministry, their prayers and their words to aid this sick person. Now, what about another question? I, I already said there's a lot to, to unwrap here, a lot to walk through in this text. Does this mean that God must always heal? James says it in such strong language that this person will rise up, that this person will stand. Does does that mean that the the, the prayers aren't really working or we're doing something wrong if the person isn't healed? Well, no, of course not. You have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. It's a key principle in understanding God's Word. You use all that He has revealed to you to interpret it. James says it plain and as strongly as he does to impress upon the congregation the power of prayer as well as the true situation that we sometimes dilute in our day that we're, we're not very aware of always because we, we so connect healing to doctors and to science and to hospitals and medication. All of that is an answer to this prayer. God works and works most often, obviously, through ordinary means, as we might call them. But the, the, the ordinary means of medication and doctors and hospitals, their healing is completely based on the power of God. The providence of God, the care of God. We see this prayer answered, actually, we could say, far more frequently than we even would understand, far more frequently even than the answer to prayer that actually takes a loved one away. How often isn't there the blessing of healing through the means that God has ordained? So James says it in this way, not only because this happens, but to show this is powerful and God is at the center. It is God who answers these prayers, and the praise should be to him, whether it was seemingly the medication that did it or was a miraculous thing that we can't explain The doctors can't explain, and this person walked away when no one thought they would. It's all to the praise of the Lord. But does that mean it always has to happen? Of course not. Paul had his thorn in the flesh, whatever that might have been, and God didn't remove it. Paul, on several occasions, even in Scripture, was sick. He had companions who were sick that couldn't come with him, that couldn't make it on missionary journeys. Timothy seemed to have and struggle with some sort of stomach ailment. Of course, we don't believe that just having a prayer of faith will automatically give you healing, and that's not James' point. 
His point is to show, though, the power of prayer and what the Lord does in working through it to highlight that power. And so that prayer works, it's effective. Now we can doubt prayer for many reasons. We struggle here. We can doubt prayer because we don't get the answers we want. It It didn't come about the way we asked for it. So we can doubt the power of prayer. We can doubt the power of prayer because it doesn't matter since God is sovereign. The future is set. What's the point? We can doubt prayer because of our own worthiness. We're not good enough. We're not righteous enough. We can't bring it about. God's punishing us for our sin. We aren't able. We don't have the righteousness stored up. We haven't been living a life good enough at this period of time to receive the answer to that prayer. All wrong thinking. And yet, we doubt. We doubt prayer simply on our own lack of righteousness. We also can doubt prayer, or this is perhaps not doubting, just ignoring it. It slips our minds. We place our attention on our own means of answering the prayer. When we are sick, that's where I was alluding to earlier, it isn't always our answer to to give more than just a kind of tertiary prayer. Yes, I I prayed, and then pour all our attention on doing whatever we can to get free of this, which isn't a problem to seek healing and treatment, but we can become so absorbed in the treatment that what, in essence, we're doing is we're just seeking in our own strength or power or intuitiveness to, to outwork the problem. And so prayer might slip our minds because what we've actually turned to is a less powerful means. Our own strength to get through it. We doubt. We doubt prayer. We doubt prayer when we don't get what we want. James had dealt with this earlier. He had dealt with this where he had said, if you remember, that you you ask of these things or you don't receive because you don't ask. And if you ask, you ask it wrongly in, in a desire to use it for your own advantage. And what James was meaning there is often the prayers of his congregation weren't answered because they either ignored prayer altogether or what they were asking for was wrong and wasn't according to the will of God. It was to be used for sinful purposes. So James, in one sense, dealt with that aspect already. We also know that when we doubt because we don't get what we want, we're not being faithful to the will of God. We're not understanding that all of our prayers end with, Lord, your will be done. We understand that we don't grade the power of prayer according to getting what we want. That's not what prayer is. It's not the, the genie in the bottle. God does often give us what we want, and often he will respond and say, I have something better, and that's the way we really should see it. I have something better, or I have something that will turn out better. Meaning that what you might be afflicted with isn't itself good, it's broken, it's a, it's a result of the curse, but the Lord is working through it. That's how we are to see the answers to prayer, that God knows what he's doing. So beware of that grading system. Beware of grading the power of prayer off of its effectiveness according to your judgment, your grading scale. Prayer isn't effective in our minds until that loved one is saved. Prayer isn't powerful until cancer is gone, until the finances are met, until our bodily desires have been achieved, until we find that spouse, we have that child, we change that job, we get our comfort. Now we all will regress at times doubt prayer in that sense because it didn't happen. We have to be aware of that and work against it. 
You see, true, powerful prayers are those offered for the right reasons, from a sincere heart, edited by God's word. Our prayers should be edited by God's word, taking out what doesn't belong, praying for what God has called us to do, understanding what prayer is to be used for and how, understanding the way that God answers is so much better than what we can ask for that we don't ultimately just ask for our will. We're asking that our will be God's that he would answer it in his way. This is James' point and the strength of his point. Now for our final point this morning, prayer's power in every believer. Prayer's power in every believer. We had raised the doubt just a couple minutes ago about the sovereignty of God. Why pray if God is sovereign? What James shows in the example of Elijah and the power of every believer's prayer is that our prayers are powerful because God is sovereign. There is no point to pray to a God who isn't sovereign. That's a waste of time. And so far being a reason to doubt the power of prayer because God is sovereign and has set the future, it is the very reason that we pray because God is so sovereign that what he ordains is our prayers to answer them. We've talked about this before, but James uses Elijah as an example. Elijah prayed, and it wasn't Elijah's power that kept the rain from the land of Israel for three and a half years. It was the power of God. Quite clearly, the plan and will of the Lord was to keep the rain from coming, but the way he ordained to do it was in answer to the prayer of a man. That's the power of prayer. Because he is sovereignly in control, he ordains the means by which he will carry it out. And so often... And this should encourage us. So often, the means by which God has ordained to carry things out is your prayer. To answer it. Even to let you see him answer it. That we might be reminded of the power of prayer, of the power of our Lord. That's what our God does. Every believer, James helpfully shows the power of prayer is in the power of God and its foreordination. This rather should encourage us to pray because we are carrying out, when we pray right, edited by God's word, but when we are expressing the very true desires of our heart, that it is our request that can change the world. And that's the point here. Elijah caused a drought on an entire nation for three and a half years. And it didn't rain again until Elijah prayed for it to rain. All in the power of the Lord, but it was a man. A finite, fallible, sinful man who prayed and thus changed the weather patterns of the world itself. You see the encouragement here in the power of a believer's prayer. James, when he says that uh, the, the prayer of a believer is... I should get the the phrase right, that the the prayer of a believer is righteous and powerful as working. That this righteous man, the prayer of a righteous person, in verse 16, has great power as it is working. What James does not mean when he says the prayer of a righteous person is that you're on the upper echelon of holiness in the church. That is not what he means. We'll miss the point of James by thinking, well, of course, God heard Elijah's prayer. He was a prophet. He was a very righteous man. 
And, and we can sort of think it was appropriate for the Lord to answer his prayer. James means, by a righteous person, a believer. That's what he means. The prayer of a Christian has great power as it is working. Those who believe. His whole point is to say, Elijah, who is of like nature to us, it's not to separate us from Elijah. He's saying, look what Elijah accomplished in his prayer, and he's just like us, is what James is trying to say. He's trying to connect us, not separate us, not think that we need someone else to offer this prayer, that we need someone more holy than us, and then the Lord will hear it. No, Elijah, just like us, of our nature, sinful, fallible, this man had this prayer answered because God is powerful and he listens to his people and carries out his will to perfection. Power of the Lord through us sinners. This is our encouragement. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James' use of Elijah is not meant to dissuade us from prayer, but to encourage us. We'd fall into the, the same error of, the, of Rome when we would think we need someone better to offer this prayer, as if we need to institute again the formal saints and pray to a saint because we can't go to God himself. We're too unworthy, so we'll have this stand-in. And this stand-in, who is so much better than us, they'll be able to pray and ask the Lord, no, if you are a believer, you have that direct phone call to the president as we began. You are tapped in to this powerful activity in prayer by the very fact that you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying it doesn't matter to ask for the prayers of the saints. God's word clearly indicates the appropriateness of frequent and fervent prayers by many of his people. That is appropriate. That's what we are called to do. That's what James is even saying here. Call the elders again. And it's, it's not to call the elders because they're more holy, so God will listen to them and not you. It's call them, help them, and let them minister to you through these things and help you through this. But it's not that they need to offer the prayer because you're too unholy. That just you See how that goes against his entire point with Elijah? To encourage his whole church and congregation that they are just like him as a man, as a believer, to pray and experience the power of the Lord in answer to that prayer. Prayer is a thing of power, brothers and sisters. And that's why that point is so simple. Our prayers have great power. And this message is just to remind us of that direct us again to pray, to direct us to the glory of God that he has, has deemed it according to his will that we would be so integral to his plan. A prayer meeting has so much power because it's prayer. And Elijah's prayer had so much power because of he prayed this amount of times or he did it the right way or he said the right incantation, that's all wrong, the whole point is Elijah's request was powerful because it was a prayer to God. Prayer that we all offer. Prayer involves the patience which awaits the divine response. Prayer involves the, the simple act of praying in trust and not doubting the Lord. But we have faith that the Lord will carry it out. Ephesians 3 verse 20 
says that the Lord will do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I'm going to read that again and just hear that in light of your own prayers and requests that the Lord will do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. The answer of the prayers of God knows no limitation. That's why we should not doubt when it doesn't come about the way we asked because of Ephesians 3.20. It's far more abundant than what we've asked. Don't pray the prayer of desperation, but as one who belongs. Pray as one of the faith. Pray as an heir of the promises of God. Pray as one baptized into Christ. Pray as one who has faith. Amen. Let's pray. Great God and Father in heaven, we see in this text the power of prayer and the power that we ourselves can come to in prayer, not that we possess, but the way in which you carry out your will in answer to our prayers, even to our feeble prayers. We can liken our prayers to infant babbling, so often riddled with what is wrong and not true. To, to, even in our prayers, we sin as we ask, and yet you perfect it. You are our intercessor. You, as, you take our prayers to the Father. You perfect them. You intercede for us. You, you bring it to completion in the truest sense because your answers to prayers are always perfect. Your answers to prayers are always what is best. Give to us encouragement. Give to us peace. And as James said, whether we are suffering, may we pray. Whether we're cheerful, may we pray. And in great sickness, sickness in bodily form, the pain of sin, we pray that you would minister to us through the elders, through the the church, through the means of grace, through your word, that we would see the power of prayer, that we would see the perfection of your will, that we would trust in you and continue to pray the prayers of faith, the prayers of a Christian. We ask this in Jesus' name.